Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. All right, so welcome to Final Exam Sunday at Canon UMC. This is the third Sunday in the genealogy of Jesus. We are celebrating Christmas or getting ready for Christmas by looking at the uh, gifts that are hidden in the family tree of Jesus. Some of you have been with us all three Sundays. For others, this is brand new. Doesn't matter. It's Final Exam Sunday at Canon UMC, and you get to take the test which means that we will together read the genealogy of Jesus from the gospel according to Matthew. Don't worry, I'll read all of it, so you will read only some of it. But your part will be extremely important. So important, it includes the key words for us this morning. And when these super important words appear on your screen, they're going to be in all caps and in bold print, and I think they're underlined. And when you see that, don't just say those words, you need to share those words. I mean, you need to shout those words. All right, I can see the excitement on your faces. So let us stand for the reading of the gospel. Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. An account of the... Are we ready? Do you all see that? Do you see all? Do you see all? What part of all did you not understand? You've, you've already lost 10 points. All right, we're going to start back with Pastor Tim. I'm going to give you a ramp. We're going to give you a run-up. And a a reading from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Good job. You're doing well. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah." So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. 
and from the exile to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did what I hoped you would when you got to Jeconiah, just say whatever you say with confidence. It'll be fine. On December 13 of each year, Scandinavian countries, especially Sweden, celebrate St. Lucy's Day. It's the beginning of the Christmas season. In keeping with tradition, the oldest daughter in each family rises early and wakes up each member of her family. She is dressed in a long white gown with a red sash and wearing a, can- a crown made of twigs with nine candles, nine lit candles in the crown on her head. For the day, she is called Lucy or Lucy Bruden, Lucy Bride. Once they're up, the family eats breakfast in a room filled with lit candles. In Guatemala, At sunset on December 7th, the eve of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, that's the Immaculate Conception of Mary, people gather in towns and villages for La Quema del Diablo, the burning of the devil. Since the 17th century, people have gathered in plazas to light bonfires and burn the devil, often a piñata, so that their homes will be cleansed of the evils and misfortunes of the previous year. Vendors sell devil horns and firecrackers, and many revelers wear devil disguises. Afterwards, families come together to eat bunuelos, traditional donuts, and drink warm fruit punch. In Japan, people celebrate Christmas with an unexpected and very American twist. After a wildly successful advertising campaign in the 1970s, Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC has become a common Christmas meal, so much so that reservations are required on Christmas Eve because tables at the fast food restaurant are in high demand. If you look online, you'll find multiple pictures of Colonel Sanders dressed up like Santa Claus. Serbians have an interesting way of celebrating Christmas. Two Sundays before the big day, on the second Sunday of Advent, children celebrate Mother's Day by tying up their mother. (laughs) She has to pay her own ransom with gifts for the children before she'll be freed. A week later, on the third Sunday of Advent, the children celebrate Father's Day in the very same way. They tie up their father and make him pay for his release with gifts for the children. Ukrainian legend tells of a poor widow who could not afford to decorate her family's Christmas tree. Spiders took pity on the family and decorated the tree with spider webs of pure silver and gold, which made the family wealthy, which is why Ukrainians decorate their Christmas trees with spider web ornaments and fake spider webs. Each of these traditions, each of these traditions is a window on another world, another world that is both familiar and strange. It's familiar because all of them, in one way or another, have something to do with Christmas, with Jesus. We don't really know who St. Lucy is, at least not in this country, but it has something to do with Christmas, and it launches the Christmas season. And although few of us probably 
put KFC at the center of our Christmas celebrations. We are familiar with Kentucky Fried Chicken. Each of these traditions is both familiar and strange at the same time. They're sort of in the, in the arena, they're in the country, they're sort of, they're in the same world as our faith, as we understand that and live that, but they are distinct, they are different. Each of these traditions is a window on another world that is both familiar and strange. We really don't understand why Serbian children tie up their mothers and their fathers. But we do get that Jesus came to set us free and that gift-giving has something to do with Christmas. In the same way, the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, is a window on another world, a world that is both familiar and strange at the same time. Clearly, it's familiar because it is the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus. And we know that Jesus, you know, it is his birth that we're getting ready to celebrate. His birth we are and will celebrate on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And so the genealogy is familiar to us. Some of the names in the genealogy may be familiar to us as well, whether or not we grew up in the church or around the church or in the Christian faith or just sort of on the edges of faith, we probably are familiar with the names of Abraham and David. And so there is some familiarity. And yet at the same time, let's be honest, the genealogy is foreign. It is strange. Very few of us can, you know, it can chart our family tree through 42 generations. We might go back a few. And so that is strange to us. Not strange to the Matthew's first readers. They would have understood immediately the importance of the genealogy of Jesus. This tells us who he is. Some of you have heard me say before that for most Americans, when you when you meet them, when you get to know them, they'll tell you about their family, but by that they really kind of mean their immediate family, but they'll also talk about what they do. Those things define us. But in the ancient world, your family and your tribe, that is, that was who you were. That was a huge part of who you were. And so genealogies were known. People knew their genealogies. They knew their family trees. The genealogy of Jesus is a window on another world. It is familiar and strange at the same time. Some of the names are familiar to us. But there's a lot in here that is really rather strange. David might be familiar to us as the king, the sort of first, not the first king of Israel, but he was the king that united the whole country and it led to its greatest expansion. But this genie, that, that is familiar. So it may not surprise us that he is really sort of emphasized in this genealogy. His name appears at the beginning and at the middle and at the end. It's said twice right in the middle. And Matthew makes a point of saying, King David, and you all did a great job of shouting that out, King David. We're in familiar territory, and yet it's unfamiliar and strange at the same time. What's the deal with 14? 14 generations. Matthew tells the genealogy, he frames the genealogy of Jesus in three sections. There's from Abraham to David, then David to the exile, then the exile to Jesus, and they're 14, 14, and 14. Well, it might help to know that David's name in Hebrew 
was understood to have the numerical value of 14. One of the strange things about the ancient world is that they practiced something called gematria. Each letter of the alphabet had a numerical value. And when you added up the numerical values of the letters in a name, you got the numerical value of the name. In Hebrew, David's name is DVD. D has the numerical value of four. V has the numerical value of six, the Hebrew parallels. So you got four, six, four. Pop quiz, what do you get if you add four to six to four? Fourteen. So any first century Jew, any first century Jewish Christian hearing the genealogy of Jesus and getting to the climax, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. It is practically screaming, David, David, David. But not only that, three fourteens or how many sevens? This is a tougher question. Six, which makes Jesus the seventh seven. Now, you don't have to know too much about the Bible to know seven is a really big deal. The Bible describes God creating the world in six days and then resting on which day? The seventh. And in the law, the people of God were told to rest their fields every how many years? Seven. And then on the seventh seven, at the beginning of the 49th year, the people were to celebrate something called the Jubilee, which meant all the slaves went free and every debt was canceled. All property, all land returned to its original owners. It was designed by God to be a glimpse of the kingdom that would come, what the world would be like when God's rule came fully, finally, and forever. It was a great liberation day. The seventh seven. Jesus, in the genealogy of Matthew, is the seventh Seven. That means he's not just a son of David, he is the son of David. The other prominent name in the genealogy is that of Abraham. He's at the beginning and the end. It was to Abraham and his wife Sarah that God promised that he would bless all the families of the earth through their family. And then he promised that David a son who would, he would, God would raise up after him and his kingdom would never end. And those, pro those promises that God had made to his people and through his people to the world would come through through this son of David. And so what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham is the seventh seven. This is the one through whom the new world has come. This is the one through whom the new world has begun. The rest of God, the peace of God, the kingdom of God, God's power to set right and heal the whole world has at long last come here, come near through this Jesus. 
And so at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the seventh seven. Did you know that the Puritans canceled Christmas? Did you know that the Puritans canceled Christmas? You may be familiar with the Puritans. They were a sort of religious and political group, both in England and here in the States, right? They were the ones who came to, uh, and landed on Plymouth Rock. They came in the Mayflower, and they eventually helped found and then lead the uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1659, they realized a long-running goal, which was to ban the celebration of Christmas, In their Christian colony, they banned the celebration of Christmas. Why did they do that? Three reasons. First of all, from their perspective, it wasn't biblical. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that Jesus was born on December 25th, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt celebrate the birth of Jesus every year. And from the Puritan perspective, if the Bible doesn't tell you to do a thing, you probably shouldn't do it. It might be wrong. It probably is. It wasn't biblical. Second, just as bad from their perspective, it was Catholic. It struck them as a Catholic thing. And since from their perspective, everything Catholic was, uh, you know, came from the devil and led to hell, you probably shouldn't do it if Catholics do it. But third, it was how Christmas was celebrated. Christmas back then was a lot more like Halloween in a fraternity house. Let that sink in. There were costumes and parties and a lot of alcohol. In some European countries, people were appointed the Lord of Misrule. And basically, their job was to make decrees over what would be done. And basically, what would be done was stuff that was not normally done. The whole point was to break all the rules. It was chaotic. And so they thought, this is really probably not good. But here's the thing. Every culture in the Northern Hemisphere has a midwinter holiday. Throughout human history, for thousands of years, every culture has had a midwinter holiday, right in the middle of December. It's always been around the longest night of the year, because as winter comes to the Northern Hemisphere, right, the nights get longer, the days get shorter, it gets colder, we all get depressed. Until the longest night of the year, which used to be on December 25th. And then the nights would start getting shorter and the days would start getting longer and the sun would come back. It was a turning point. Winter wasn't done, but the sun was coming. Spring was on its way. And so every culture in the Northern Hemisphere celebrated that winter solstice, that midwinter point when the sun begins its return. And yes, most of them celebrated by kind of throwing out all the normal rules. And they drank too much and they ate too much and they did things with 
neighbors that they wouldn't normally be doing with neighbors. But in the middle of all of that, there was actually something of hope. There was the hope that the sun would come and life would begin again, that there would be a new beginning. Christmas really isn't a break from reality. I mean, it kind of is, right? School's over. We get days off of work. Some of us travel. So there is sort of a break from reality for us. But it's because reality is breaking into us. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah of God, the seventh seven is reality coming to us, breaking into our old world with the strange new world of God, a world that runs on grace and mercy and hope and love. Which is why we wish that some aspects of Christmas would linger. Because we know that we're made in the image of a God who is love. And it really does twist us and twist the world if we live from and for money or from and for power or for anything else. Christmas is not just a break from reality. It kind of is, but even more. For us, it's reality breaking into us. God coming for us. God inviting us into his strange new world. through which God's power to set right and heal the whole world has come and is coming. The genealogy is weird, it's strange, and yet it's familiar. But it points to something wonderful. The new world of God that has come and is coming and will come. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424.